We're in the middle of a series in the book of Ephesians. This morning we're going to be in chapter 3, starting at verse 14, going through verse 21. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, it's on page 977 of your pew Bibles. Let me also say again, if, if you don't have a Bible and a translation that is discernible to you, then please feel free to take one of ours. Not your neighbors next to you, but the one under the seat. You can take one of those. <clears throat> uh, as we mentioned, we're in the middle of the series in Ephesians, and if you're, if you're new, uh, if you're visiting, if you've just started coming, we've been saying one thing every week, that the book of Ephesians, we're looking at it asking this question, what does this book tell us about what it means for us to become a community of grace? to become more of a community of grace. That would be more and more a reality for us as a people. Well, let's look uh, this morning to see what Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 have to say to that question. Before we read, let's pray together. Father, this is your word, so as we come before it, we know um, that it is you speaking to us. We pray that you would do that. We pray that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds that we might hear your voice here. And Lord, that you would use it to change our lives. We are people in need of your word. We need a word spoken from the outside to us about who you are. We need you speaking into our life. So we pray that you would do that right now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, We have one or two uh, students in our church, high school seniors, who are no doubt in the middle of starting to write applications to go to college. And I remember my senior year in high school, as I'm writing all these college applications, there was this one school um, that had several essays, one of which was this. It said, if you were stranded on a desert island, what three things would you want to have with you? Okay, stranded on a desert island, you've got, you've got to pick three things. What are they going to be? Uh, now, this was, we mentioned the movie Castaway a few weeks ago. This is before Castaway, so before I sort of inherently understood some of the dangers of being on the deserted island. Uh, well, okay, what would you what would you pick? Three, you got three things, three things to take with you on the island. Everything else you have to leave behind. Okay, here's what I picked. Uh, okay, I said three things. I would take a picture of my family. I would take my Bible, and I would take a CD of this from the soundtrack of the movie The Mission. Okay, if you've ever seen The Missions, it's this beautiful CD. Okay, so those are three things I'd take. Now I feel certain you're laughing at me. <laughs> I feel certain that whoever read my application in the admissions office thought, English major, not mechanical engineer. Uh, 
And it was, it, was, it was literally just this week as I was thinking back to the story that I realized I, I would have starved to death on that island. <laughs> I might take three different things now. Um, but those are the three things. If three things, you can only have three things, what would it be? Okay, now, this text uh, comes at, at, at a crucial juncture in the book of Ephesians. Throughout, for the last six, six, seven weeks, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, has been laying out this groundwork of, of here is what is true about God, about who you are. Here is what is true about the gospel, about God coming to save you in the person of his son, Jesus. Laying this incredible theological groundwork of here is what God has done in our lives. And this passage comes right at the cusp of, of a change in the letter, of a change in direction. He's He's coming, he's, he's winding down this first half of this letter. Maybe winding down, maybe winding up is a better way of looking at it. It's, it's focusing down on this one thing. Okay, what's, what's he want to hammer home at the end of this first half of the book? What does he want, above all these things that I've said, sum them up. What is he trying to drive home in our hearts? If you've ever been, you go to museums, and, and one of the ways they raise money in museums is they have these, these big spiral things that you put your quarter into, and it spins around, you know what I'm talking about? It starts spinning around. And what, what happens is it gets down to the, to the bottom of the funnel. It starts spinning faster and faster, becomes more and more focused and narrow. That's what Paul's doing in his letter. Spinning around all these uh, pictures of what God has done for us and he's spinning faster and faster down to this one thing. Paul says in this passage, okay, let me boil it down to one thing that I want you to know. What is it? Paul's prayer for them. What's this one thing? Well, here it is. That they would know that God loves them. All this stuff I've said, it all comes down to this point. I want you to understand that God loves you. Now we're going to look at three things about God's love in these, in these few verses here. One is that the love of God is absolutely essential to the life of faith. Secondly, the fact that God loves us is incredibly hard to grasp. And third, that only God can make this a reality in our life. Okay? The love of God is absolutely essential to the life of faith. The fact that God loves us is incredibly hard to grasp. And third thing, only God can make this a reality in our life. So the first point, God, love of God is absolutely central to the life of faith. This passage opens up with Paul praying for us. All this stuff, and now he says, now I'm praying for you, and here's the thing that I'm praying it's interesting the, the phrase he opens up with, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now in the first century in his culture, the usual posture of prayer was standing up. You got down on your knees and prayed when, you, when it was serious. When it was the most burdensome thing. When you desperately needed to pray. He says, I'm, I bow my knees before the Father. I'm praying for you. And he boils it down to this, that you would know God's love. Now, a couple things about this love of God that he teaches us just in this passage. One, this is a point that's come up about God in a couple different ways as we've been looking at Ephesians. But he says that this love of God has a Trinitarian shape to it. This is verse 14 through 17. Look at this. He says that this love is from the Father. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory... He may, be, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. He says that this love is from the Father, that it comes out of the riches of His glory. And he prays that God would grant us this. 
grant. It's, it's the language of gift. Not that you'll go attain this. Not that you can sit down and figure this out on your own. He says, I pray that God would grant you to know this. That out of his riches of glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Through his spirit, that we be strengthened with power. It seems to imply that we're just not strong enough to contain this on our own. Um, maybe you know the experience. You, you go to the grocery store, and you're at one of those stores where you have to bag your own groceries. And since you're not studied in the art of bagging groceries, that you get this, this little plastic bag and you put 19 canned goods in there. And then you're surprised when you're at home and you're going between your car and your front door and it just all sort of, it all sort of comes tumbling out. Paul, Paul's saying you need the spirit to double bag you, all right? You need to be, you need to be strengthened. We have, he says, I'm praying that you would contain something that you can't contain. I'm praying that God would pour something in your life that is so weighty that you need the power of the Spirit in your life to hold it. That we would have strength to contain what God wants to give us. So it's Trinitarian. It's love from the Father. It's strengthened with power through the Spirit. And what's he praying? He's saying that, I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now again, remember, Paul is speaking to a community of believers, a community of people who have said, we've put our stake here. We believe in Jesus. He is the one that we're following. We're believers. And he says to those people, he says, I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Now, in the first chapter of Ephesians, he's gone through and said in the most glorious and exalted language he could, that Christ dwells in you. He dwells in God's people. You have him. You are in Christ. So has Paul forgotten that? Okay, you've said, you've said this is true about us. Now you're saying, I'm praying that, the God, that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. I think what he's saying here is that this is not an image of coming to faith, but of growing in your faith in depth. This isn't talking about coming to Christ for the first time, but he's talking about coming to know him deeply and intimately. Okay, the first chapter of Ephesians, he said, you are seated with Christ in heaven. That is true of you. What he's saying here is, I want you to feel that down to your very core. I want your lived out experience as believers to really resonate with that. This is where you've been put positionally in Christ. Now, I want Christ to so get into you that it sinks down deep. In, in Greek, there, there are two words he could have, that are related that he could have chosen for dwell. And one of them means to dwell the same way a tourist dwells in a hotel in Williamsburg when they're here for the week visiting. Okay? They live there, but they're just passing through, coming to see the sights, and then they go back home. The other word for dwell means I'm somebody who's settled here. This is my place. And that's the word he chooses. saying, I'm praying that the that Christ would dwell in your hearts. That would be the place where he is settled. And how does this happen? He says, well, it happens through faith, through resting in God's promises, through trusting Jesus, through leaning into this life that we're offered in the gospel. Now, this all focuses down, this Trinitarian love. It comes from the Father. It's the power of the Spirit, and he says it's in Christ. He says, all this love of God is focused down into the person of Christ. That's God's love on display for us. In the second half of verse 17 through verse 19, he's, he tells us four things about the love of Christ. First thing he says, it's foundational. His language here, he says, I pray that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Okay, there are two images here. Rooted, it's a, it's a botanical image. Uh, that you'd be rooted, that, the, that you'd be rooted in solid soil, in nutrient-rich soil. 
for a plant, it depends on where you plant it. It depends on the soil that you put it in. Soil is also what gives it strength. If you're a tree, you need better soil than we have right out here in the middle of a storm. Right? We've got an uprooted tree over here. Why? The soil couldn't contain it. It couldn't hold it. The roots couldn't go down deep enough. Um, my, my wife experimented this year in, in starting a garden. It's her first stab at this. Very proud of her. In fact, we still have tomatoes on our vines. Only in Williamsburg, I guess. Okay, so we did a great job growing tomatoes, but not much else. Uh, Elizabeth pulled up some carrots the other day. Huge, green, bushy things sticking out of the ground, and the carrots were that big. <laughs> They're these fat, nubby little carrots. What's the problem? Our soil is terrible. It's hard to penetrate down into it. It's full of clay and I don't know what else, but it doesn't have much to make a carrot grow. And what's Paul saying? I'm praying that you would be rooted in love. That that would be the thing that gives you strength if you're the tree out there to stand up. And that's the thing that would give you the nutrients that you would really grow, that you would really grow deep, that you would really bear good, healthy fruit that is not stunted like the Barrett's carrots. Now, the second thing he says, I pray that you'd be rooted. Then he says, I pray that you'd be grounded in love. Okay, this is an architectural term in Greek. He's going to a whole different vocabulary here. And he says uh, that he's praying that we would be, that our foundation would rest on solid soil. He's not talking about the foundation. He's talking about where it rests in the ground. He's saying that it would be grounded in love. Now, again, back to our yard. Um, our neighborhood has what's called sink swell soil had no idea what that was until after I moved there. Um, but basically what happens, because of the, the clay content in our soil, that it's unstable. And so in soil like that, you have to have a deep foundation, because if you don't, then over time you're going to notice little cracks in your walls, and your doors are going to get stuck, and your chimney's going to need work. Paul says, my prayer for you is that you would be grounded in the love of Christ that you'd have a foundation that goes deep enough to rest on this solid soil. That that would be what the foundation of your life rests upon. Foundation that doesn't give way to cracks, doesn't get your doors stuck in your house. So one of the things I think that just stands out in these two images about the love of Christ, that is pictured as something solid and strong and life-giving. It's not fuzzy, it's not this extra. This is not Paul becoming touchy-feely. I pray that you would know the love of Christ. What does he say? The love of Christ is something strong and foundational, and it's absolutely essential that you have it in your life. And he says, I pray that you would have this. Something to really build your life on. Second thing about the love of Christ, it's foundational. It's, it also stretches in every direction. Breadth, length, height, depth. Maybe some of you have had the experience that I've had of driving through Kansas. When you drive through Kansas, you could fall asleep for 45 minutes and wake up and the scenery hasn't changed, right? Everywhere you look, it's just flat. In every direction, it just stretches out. That's all you can see. Now, Paul is saying the love of Christ stretches in every direction. You look up. You look around. You look down. Everywhere you look, there it is, stretching out in front of you. That's 
how great this love of Christ is that you've been brought into as far as the eye can see. It's foundational. It stretches every direction. It's uh, experienced communally with God's people. Verse 18. He's praying that you, he says that you would comprehend Christ's love with all the saints. This is something we say pretty frequently around here, but it's not a solo endeavor. This is not some special mystical knowledge that you've been initiated into or that you're going to find out in the forest. What does he say? He says, I'm praying this for all of you, that this would be the common currency for you as a body of believers, that you know this love of Christ that stretches on and on and on, that is the foundation work that your community is based on, that it's the foundation of your life. I pray that all of you would know that together. Then the last thing of the four things he prays about Christ, he says uh, in verse 19, it, Christ's love, it's paradoxical. Paul prays that we know this love, but it's a love, he says, that surpasses knowledge. He says, I pray you'd know something that you can't know. Uh, what's he saying about knowledge? Well, I think he's saying this. We can know truly without knowing exhaustively. Okay? I want you to have a deep knowledge of this love of God. You can't contain it. But you can know it. You can know it really. You can't see it all to the end of the direction. You can't see it to the end of Kansas. But you can look around and see you. You can know it in a real, deep, in an actual deep way in your life. Going back to our gardening example, for those of you that are gardeners, do you know how a plant grows? Well, yes and no. If you're a good gardener, then you know how to prepare the soil, and you know when to plant things and you know when to prune them and how much to prune them. You know how plants grow. Can you explain to me photosynthesis? Well, some of you could. There was a time in my life right before a biology exam where I could. <laughs> but it wouldn't have taken you very long to ask me a couple questions where I'm like, I, I, have, I have no idea. Do you know, when you, when, you, when you put it on a slide under the microscope, can you explain how that cell works? Well, some of you can. But at the end of the day, even the botanist, slide under the, under the microscope, has to say, mystery. I get it, but I don't get it. I know it, but I don't know it all. That's what Paul's saying. I pray that you would know the love of Christ for you that, is surpa that surpasses knowledge. And that we too would say mystery. And then he says this amazing thing, verse 19. What's the end result of knowing this love? He says that we would be filled with the fullness of God. What in the world is he saying? Well, the fullness of God, the way Paul is, is using it here, it's, it's a sum for all of the perfections of God, all the richness of who God is, all of his attributes. Paul's praying that the end result of our being filled by God's love is that we would actually be filled by God himself. And that's what we were built to know. God, his, un his uncontainable love pouring into our lives, pouring into us, the fullness of God overflowing in our lives. Okay, let me ask you this. Is this what you understand to be at the heart of Christianity? God's love for us, this love, this kind of love? Or is it something else? Is it moral duty? Is it the promise of some benefit Health, wealth. What is it that you see burning at the heart of Christianity? Paul says it's God's love for us. Uh, when I was growing up, my, 
we would occasionally go visit my great-grandparents who lived in town, and they lived in this uh, huge, amazing, old southern home. Un- unbelievable place, especially when you're 10 years old. And so we'd go and we'd explore. We found out about the, um, the, the secret door that leads you into this room that nobody knows about. And all through the top floor, all through the, all through the main floor, down into this amazing full basement, digging through things. And, and one day, we, ca- we came across this room in the basement at, at the very center, the very heart of the house. And we opened it up. And there was this ancient coal furnace that was used to heat the whole house. And at least in the winter, if you thought about it, you'd think, this, this is the heart of this house. Because without that furnace, it is cold in here. This is where the warmth of this house comes from. Now, what is it at the heart of Christianity that, it's, that is at its core that's bringing heat and light, bringing life to the house. It is God's love for us. And Paul is saying, I want you to know this. Without that, Christianity wouldn't be Christianity. It might be noble. It might be elegant. There'd still be this beautiful artwork on the walls of the house. There'd still be this grand staircase, marble floors. But just like that house, it would be cold. It would be remote. It would be a museum, maybe, but it wouldn't be a home. It is God's love that's the furnace at the heart of this house that's bringing light and heat for all its parts. Paul says you need to know this. You need to discover this room at the very center. It's for all of us. It is God's love. He says your community needs to know that. So let me ask you individually. Have you been living in a home or are you living in a museum? All the artwork on the walls. Do you know where the heat is coming from? Paul offers this to us. He says, I'm praying for you that you would know this. You, if you're a Christian, I'm praying for you that you would know the depth and the height, the magnitude of Christ's love for you. Now, second point, second point and third point are short, I promise. First point is that the love of God is absolutely central to our lives. The second point is that the, the, fact, is that the fact is that God's love it's incredibly hard for us to grasp. Okay, this is going to be one of the shortest sermon points you've ever heard. I'll make it quick. But for anybody who's trying to live out the life of faith, wrap your arms around this. Live this out in your life. Get used to the fact that Jesus is in you and he's called you into something entirely new. Paul assumes that it's incredibly difficult to grasp this. It sounds simple. God loves you. He brings us his love in Christ. We intellectually grab it, but our lives are so slow to, to really take hold of it. Paul says, I'm on my knees praying to the Father that you would get this because it's hard to get. And it's hard to get for probably many reasons. One thing, it often doesn't manifest itself in our life in a way that we are trained to expect. You look around and you think, overflowing blessings are not what I'm seeing. Instead, I'm seeing financial struggle. Instead, I'm seeing struggle with health. I'm seeing loved ones die. I'm seeing getting laid off from my job. If our expectation is that God's love for us is going to be manifested in that way, then no wonder we scratch our heads off and are confused. Because we tend to think that suffering is counter-evidence to God's love. If there's suffering in my life, then that must show me the opposite, that God doesn't love me. 
we're easily forget that we follow a crucified Savior, one who came to bring life and healing and health, one who also said, in this, li- in this life you'll have many struggles, that we follow in the suffering of Christ. So I think Paul assumes that if that's our picture of what it means to feel this love of God, then at times it's going to be very hard for us to grasp. But I think there's some odd comfort in the fact that it's hard to get. Because that's, that's why when you look around and you think, um, I just don't get it. I don't under, understand God's love the way I wish I did, the way I need to, the way I want to. I don't see it bearing fruit in my life the way it should. You know, you're tempted to think maybe God's love is actually unknowable. Maybe you're tempted to think maybe God's love is for some people, but it's apparently not for me. Remember this passage. Remember Paul praying for Christians to have this fullness of love. And know that you're not alone. You're in good company. And the fact that it's hard to get in our bones, it's hard to get down into our life, that's the reason we never stop talking about this. Have you ever wondered why every Sunday when we get together, we talk about the love of God given to us in Christ? Because we're people with very short memories. And we're people that have a lot of trouble drawing it down into the day-in, day-out lives that we go through for the rest of the week. So may that be true of every sermon you ever hear preached in this church and every Sunday school lesson and every home group meeting and every church dinner and every women's Bible study. Everything should be driving us back to this foundational reality. God's love for us given to us in Christ, that that would be what we hold up. That love that found us lost, alone, dead, and it flooded our lives with light and with heat, brought us back to life, brought us into God's family We never get away from talking about this and reminding each other of this and praying that we know this better. We're people that always need to hear this. Love of God is incredibly hard to grasp. And then last, only God can make this love a reality in our lives. Verses 20 and 21. Again, Paul's praying for this. He knows only God can do it. We just can't accomplish this. This isn't a skill to master. Okay? Go now this week and understand God's love. This is a gift that Paul asks for us. Back to the three things you might want on the desert island. Paul says there's one thing, and it has to be, it has to be given to you. And so I'm, I'm praying that you'll get this. You've been given God's love. I'm praying that you're going to understand it, that it's going to bring the light and heat that it should. And then Paul just breaks into praise. It's the last two verses. It says, God can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. He's been using these um, over-the-top adverbs that, that almost don't make sense in Greek. He's coining words left and right in these passages, surpassingly more than all we can ask or think. We've just asked for a lot. God can do much more than that. Saying, do you think it's too much to ask for God? Do you think it's more than God can do in your life to ask for this? He says, not even this plums the depths of God's love for us. Not even this really touches on the fullness of God's power to make it real in our lives. Abundantly more than that. So I think we ought to take Paul's lead. Ask for it. Pray for it. Look for it. For yourself and for each other. So becoming a community of grace... It's going to mean this foundationally for us. The fullness of God's love for us 
the furnace that heats our church, not our church building, our church, us, this interconnected group of Christians, this is what we're going to have to share with each other. This is what we have to offer to each other and to the world around us. God's love in all its glory, stretching in every direction, rooting us, grounding us in our lives. God's love at the heart of our marriages. God's love at the heart of our service and ministry. God's love at the heart of our friendships. God's love at the heart of our work lives. God's love always on display, always on our lips, always in our prayers, always what we are offering. And then the very end, verse 21, to what end? What's the result of God's love filling our lives and our community in this way? God being glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. comes full circle to this. Verse 16, we've got Paul asking that God would grant us from the riches of his glory that he'd grant us a knowledge of this love. And here at the end of the passage, that we would know this love, that God would be glorified in us. That's where he's taken us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you did not hold yourself far off, but you came to us in the person of Jesus, and you have brought us this love higher and wider and deeper than we can really grasp. But you have shown it to us, and it is what gives us life. We pray, Father, that out of the riches of your glory, you'd give us power through your Spirit to grasp the love of Christ. May this really be what defines us individually and defines us as a group of believers following you. May this be what we hold forth brightly. And Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son by which you made all of this possible, by which you brought us from death to life. May that be precious to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.